Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Well, it's July, but there's plenty of NFL news to dig into. Jadeveon Clowney could be going to the Patriots. The Browns looking to lock up Miles Garrett. And the Eagles bringing back Jason Peters now to play guard. All that plus what's happening with the Pac-12 following the Big Ten when it comes to college football and the perilous condition it's in right now with regards to COVID-19 and its potential impact. But, Michael Lombardi, we begin with some big news here involving the Washington Redskins. 87 years they were referred to as such, but now they're announcing they're going to change the name and the logo. This comes after a thorough review of the name, and the name has long been announced by Native American groups as an ethnic slur. Owner Daniel Snyder and head coach Ron Rivera working closely to develop a new name and design approach. We talked previously, Mike, about different names and such. What I find interesting is this, because I think Red Tails has the early advantage. This is going to take a while. This is not just a matter of already changed the name. Hey, two months from now, it's the Washington Red Tails. This could be a year or two I was reading with regards to changing helmets, changing logos, getting all that stuff. This is an enormous undertaking, changing a team's nickname, right? No doubt. I mean, like they have the throwback helmet, which is the one with the R on them, the Vince Lombardi designed that looks an awful lot like the Green Bay Packer uniform helmet. And then they have the one that George Allen designed, which is the iconic Indian, the chief on the on the front, obviously uh, that they're not going to wear that. That would be so they can't wear that helmet this year. They also have the one with the arrow going through it, which you know depends on what they want to do. So yeah, I mean, look, I think this is a lesson, and and obviously he's too late to do this. I find it fascinating that Ron Rivera, you know, has gone is like Ron Rivera is like the chief executive officer of the Washington Redskins. I mean, he's got all the power, and Snyder looks like he leans on him for everything. Yeah, it's amazing that Ron Rivera, you're right, comes in there already has this power and. Listen, whether or not you like the name change or not, I think it was long overdue. But what I think is interesting is you're right, Mike. How does it end up happening? A new coach comes in, societal unrest stemming from the George Floyd and all that that entails. And the fact, what does it all come down to? Money. Of course it's money. All the times that Daniel Snyder said, over my dead body, we're never changing it. Yeah, that's a bunch of baloney. Once FedEx was like, hey, hey, by the way, we have the naming rights to the team stadium. We could be out. Other brands, Nike, Amazon. It just goes to show you, Mike, I think they're making the right decision. But if anybody actually thinks that they did it for the right reasons, that would be foolish. They did it because of money, plain and simple. That's exactly right. I mean, and that's, that, you know, is what it's all about. I mean, that's why that senator from Missouri is attacking the NBA because he does, he feels like they're, they are acquiescing to China for the money. You know, and money rules. I mean, it's funny, you know, so I said last week I was reading these books. I wanted to get books on Jackie Gleason. And and so I did. And I've been I'm almost done the first one. And and, and we talk about this as we, we it's never happened before. So all those TV shows in the four, in the 50s and 60s, they were only on because they got advertisers to sponsor the show. And then what happened was they figured out if they did 15-second commercials, you know, 30-second commercials, uh, you know, 45-second, they could charge different rates and they could get more advertisers on. It used to be Jackie Gleason presented by Palmolive, whatever it was, right? They had one sponsor. And then all of a sudden, as as this thing grew, and it's the same thing with, with teams. I mean, if your sponsors don't support you, FedEx you know, Nike, Amazon, if they're, if they're bailing on you, you don't have a show. 
right? You don't, I mean, Milton Burr was the number one rated show forever. He had Buick as his main sponsor. Well, once Gleason became really popular, Buick dumped Milton Burrow and they went to Gleason. So this is the same story. It's just a different era. It's the same place. And obviously, the only way to affect Daniel Snyder is to hit him in his pocketbook, or else he'd still have the goddamn punter running his team. Nobody could have run a team worse than the punter did. And yet, you know, and when it affected him, his wallet is when it does. But the thing I don't think fans understand, these owners are immune to money. They can't get hurt financially. They can't. Well, bottom line is this. To the moon, Alice, when it comes to the Redskins name, uh, like we said, it's going to get changed, but it's not going to happen anytime soon. These things take a while in terms of rebranding, so I wouldn't expect that happening for this NFL season. When you use that line, I just I could watch him his movement and watch his eyes when he said that. Now I know we're. I mean, I'm obviously I wasn't alive when he was popular, but his ability to make you laugh with his movements and his and his dexterity as a fat guy. You know, is just just flat out remarkable. I mean, when you said to the moon, I could see his eyes light up. You know, and and did you know there was only thirty nine episodes of the Honeymooners? Wow, that's shocking to me. I would have thought that's like an I Love Lucy, ten seasons, eighty episodes, whatever the hell. That's it, thirty nine. He quit. He said, "I had enough. I don't want to do it." But it was all based on his childhood. His stepfather was named Ralph. His father abandoned him when he was like eight or nine years old. They lived at 358 Chauncey Street in Brooklyn, which is the address for Ralph Cram. I mean, everything he did, the the picture of the room. I mean, my favorite episode is when he does the uh, question, you know, when he's doing the music and he knows every composer n- name and everything, except Art Carney's character. At Norton, he just, he plays way down upon the Swanee River to start every song. And so when he gets him the first question on the on the, when he gets on television, the first song he's got to identify is way down. That's the only one he doesn't know. <laughs> I, I, I showed my kids Back to the Future. And there's one scene where Marty McFly is watching Honeymooners. He goes, oh, I've seen this one before. This is where Ralph does whatever. And the whole family looks at him like, how do you know what happens? He goes, it's a rerun. And they're like, what do you mean a rerun? Like, <laughs> it's funny how now the show is so... Uh, so unforgettable. Speaking of that, not to get off topic here, but my neighbor, Bill, very good friend of mine, I have to give him praise on the pod, wants to come on and debate you on Back to the Future being ranked as top. Now, I will say this in complete full disclosure. Bill is a full-time expert on Disney, but he wants to debate that that Back to the Future isn't a top five movie. And I said, look, we may give you a forum. If we, if we don't have football in August, you may get your shot. <laughs> An open invite to your neighbor, Bill. Uh, you're right. We'll get that coming at some point. We'll pencil in for uh, Halloween. Tell you what, if there's no football on Halloween, he can come on. We can discuss the Enchantment of the Sea Dance and Dr. Emmett Brown and 1.21 gigawatts. We'll do a big Back to Future episode. Uh, speaking about current day, free agent defensive end Genevieve Clowney could be possibly seeking a sign of deal with the New England Patriots, according to CLNS's Evan Lazar, Patriots have an additional $6.55 million in cap space following settlements with Antonio Brown and the estate of Aaron Hernandez. So they got a little more money here for a free agent. At the beginning of free agency, Mike Clowney was demanding a multi-year deal of around $20 million per year. But he hasn't signed. He hasn't always healthy. When he is healthy, he's tremendous. Make me smarter. Is Clowney going to New England? You know, these are the things that you get hit with on Twitter. Like today, somebody tweeted out, that Bill Belichick's not a good general manager, right? That Bill Belichick, the coach, and this guy has 250,000 Twitter followers. Why? I don't know. I don't understand it, you know? But 
he tweets out that Bill's not a good general manager, that Bill the coach overcomes everything. Like, like, and he, A, he's never been in the league before. B, he's never been a general manager before. C, he's never been a scout before. D, what the fuck does he know, right? Like, seriously, like, what do you know? Like, and so if you know, you know this is a complete bogus story. First of all, Clowney, what does Clowney like to do? Clowney loves to run up the field. What does New England teach their defensive end? To never run up the field. Okay, so let's just put this in perspective. Belichick is going to spend a $12 million a year for one player. Typically never does that, right? He just signed Cam Newton to the minimum deal, right? How do you think Cam would feel if he brought Clowney in and paid him $12 million a year? What do you think Clam would say? Cam would say, like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, seriously, what's going on here? Like, like this is how this is how bad this rumor is, and I don't mean to make fun of Evan Lazar, but that it's not a good. It like this is deductive reasoning that goes wrong. Deductive reasoning is A plus B equals C, right? Well, A and B might be true, but C isn't, right? So there's no way this makes any sense. So like A, they would never pay one player, especially after they got Clowney. B, he wants defensive tackles because unlike the Raiders who have no idea how to stop Patrick Mahomes in terms of building their football team, Belichick knows the only way to get to Patrick Mahomes is through the middle. So he would be more inclined to say, I'll sign Marcel Darius to a contract, than he would be to sign Clowney because Marcel Darius can push the pocket back. Marcel Darius can create get into the paint. Clowney's going to run past the quarterback. Clowney's not going to set the edge on run plays. Plus, Clowney's not going to practice on Wednesday. Clowney's not going to practice on Thursday. Clowney might practice on Friday. Like that, that has nothing to do with what's going on. And, and it's just, it, it, it makes me so interesting to see that then it becomes Twitter just takes it over. Clowney to the Patriots. It's like, it's like the Deshaun Watson rumor that Deshaun Watson's going to the Patriots. Like that, that, that took a life of its own. Or my cousin Vince was over the house the other night. And of course, he's convinced Aaron Rodgers is going to the Patriots. Like, you know, and you can't change his mind on it because he's the huge Packer fan. He's the one who coined Matt LaFuck. Yes. You know, he uh, give him full credit for that nickname. So, you know, I mean, you, these, these rumors, you can't convince anybody that they're not true. I love Vince. He's great with nicknames. Let's book him on the show in November if there's no football. Speaking of other rumors, as you dispel the clownies of the Patriots, how about Antonio Brown, the latest in him with the Bucks rejoining with Brady? Well, look, I still think Brady's pushing hard for it. I don't care what anybody reports, and I know the Bucks aren't interested, but Brady's going to keep going and keep going and keep going. And I think there's a lot. I know Lamar's pushing the Ravens hard for it. I think now that he's gotten cleared up out of this one hassle that he had with the Patriots, the cap settlement, where the Patriots picked up an additional $6.55 million. I think now the next step is for him to get cleared in terms of his off-the-field issues. Then the commissioner can make a decision on where he's going suspension-wise. But I, I hear Seattle is really, really, really interested. I think Seattle has dropped the Josh Gordon. Maybe they come back to him if they feel like Brown isn't. But I think it's Brown-Gordon, and I think Baltimore's right in it. Interesting. That bears monitoring. Speaking of getting paid, the Browns closing in a five-year deal, $125 million to defensive end Miles Garrett. Based on average annual salary, he'd be the highest paid defender in the NFL just had a Bears edge rusher, Khalil Mack, who's earning $23.5 million. Garrett was the number one overall selection, 2017 NFL draft. And people know he's a talent, Mike. They also know that he had the disturbing instant when he swung a helmet at that of Steelers quarterback Mason Rudolph in prime time. 
I guess crime does pay $25 million a year for Miles Garrett. Yeah, crime does pay. Just to, just to ask the boys and Goodfellas how that worked out for him, right? Uh, look, I, the, I, I, I don't know. You, last week, again, people were saying that the um, – the Patrick Mahomes deal has nothing to do with Dak Prescott. It has nothing to do with contracts. It's an individual contract all on its own. Stop. You have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. It has everything to do with every deal. And that's just what's, this is another effect of it. This is what you're going to see. You're going to see no middle-level deals done. You're going to see all the high-end players, and Miles Garrett certainly qualifies as a high-end player for his ability to rush the passer. They're all going to get deals. And these numbers are going to keep inching up because, again, it's going to come down to where are we going? You know, how much better is Mahomes than Deshaun Watson, than Aaron Rodgers? If that's the case, then I'm better than the next guy. I should get – I'm way better than D. Ford. I should make more than D. Ford makes. Then here's where I get to. It's the same thing what's going to happen with Jalen Ramsey. I mean, you know, Jalen Ramsey's the same way. I mean, I mean, he's going to want to be paid more than Darius Slay just got. So because Slay got something, here's where he's going to go. And it's just it's this, this domino effect that keeps going on. Like you said, the big-time talent's going to get paid. The middle class is going to get squeezed. And then there's always a home for Jason Peters. I love this story. Brandon Brooks, the standout uh, guard, excuse me, for the Eagles, out for the year with a ruptured Achilles. So Jason Peters, who was their standout left tackle for the last 11 seasons, Going to be put to pasture? No. Tell you what, you can come back. You're 38 years old, a nine-time Pro Bowler, 16 years of the Eagles and the Bills. We'll give you $3 bucks in guarantees, up to $6 million to replace Brooks as a guard. I think with the, a left tackle, now going to play right guard, Andre Dillard, who's the team's 2019 first-round pick, he's going to be their left tackle. You tell me, Mike, can Jason Peters go from left tackle to right guard? It's a, it's a whole different game. What people don't understand is you got to be really quick to play inside. Like the quickness is a factor because of those tackles are really good and the defensive tackles. And you've got to be really good. You don't have as much time to the vertical set or the horizontal set. You, you got to get your hands on them and you got to be able to react. I think it's going to be hard. Look, I know this. If I were the general manager of the Eagles, I would have not a lot of faith that A, Peters could stay healthy and B, he could play at a high level at right guard, a position he really hasn't played. Now, remember, this kid was a tight end coming out in college. So, you know, many, many moons ago, he was really athletic, but that was a long time ago. Hell, I can still remember calling Al on the phone. I called Al Davis on the phone. I'm like, Mr. Davis, I, I'll do him first. I said, Mr. Davis, look, I think we should we should take Jason Peters off the Bills practice squad. I, I, I don't like taking people off the practice squad. I said, Mr. D, this guy was just sitting out there. We could steal him. I mean, he's going to be a bona fide left tackle. If worst case scenario, he's a bona fide left guard. He'll replace Wisniewski in a year. We get him for basically nothing. I had a deal done with the agent. I I, I don't want to do that. Shows weakness. I I said, well, I don't really understand. How does that show weakness? I I don't want any players that can't make the bills to think they can make my team. (laughs) Okay, click. He hung up on me. That was the end of that story. Meanwhile, life goes on. You know, the guy's plays fucking 11 years and I'm still, you know, like, what are, you know, and then I get, and I, and I still get blamed for fucking uh, Jim Marcus Russell. It's a, it's a, it's a truly an amazing story. But anyway, uh, you know, I, I would have a, I have hard, I mean, it's great that Peters is back. Baldy tweeted out earlier this week that the Eagles were talking about signing a guy and everybody in Philly thought it was going to be Everson Griffin, which they should sign. They thought it was going to be making the, tr- getting clowny, which they shouldn't sign. And I thought it was going to be Larry Warford, who they should sign. 
Like if I was going to sign a guard, I would sign Larry Warford. Even though I didn't think Warford played great last year, I would sign him because at least I know he could stay healthy and he could actually play guard. Yeah, with Jason Peters, at least you know who he is. You know the kind of caliber of person he is, player, et cetera. But you're right, 38 expectations. He's going to stay healthy. That's a reach. And that's not even before you, like you said, you get into the dynamics of what a different position could mean. One more signing before we get into some other news. And that's Chris Jones and the Chiefs. They beat the buzzer. July 15th, buzzer to get a long-term deal hammered out. The deal is worth $85 million, $60 million guaranteed for the next four years. They wanted to beat that time, obviously. Otherwise, he'd get franchise and all the rest of it. Breakout season in 2018, second team All-Pro um, obviously, the course of a four-year career, 33 sacks, 72 quarterback hits, 136 tackles. He's played 61 games. And, Mike, overall, the Chiefs have spent a ton of money. But you can tell right now they believe that they know who their guys are. They believe Chris Jones is going to be one of their guys, and that fortifies their defense moving forward. Yeah, and the way they did the Mahomes deal, they have two years to get their cap in order. And based on what's going to happen in this upcoming negotiation with the players and the owners in terms of getting back to work, the cap may actually be flat next year. So that gives them even more time to buy into this. So, you know, to me, he's the one player. If I were the GM of any of the teams that had to play Mahomes, Chris Jones was going to be the one player I had to get because he can pressure the pocket from inside. He is a truly blue chip player. He's one of the top five tackles in the league. When his motor's running, look, the only reason he go went, I mean, they give the Chiefs credit now. You know, some of their best players were high character risk. They were high character risk. Tyreek Hill couldn't get a higher character risk. Jason Kelsey in the third round, that was a risk. There was stuff on him coming out of college, right? High ca- This Chris Jones guy, high character risk coming out. Mississippi State coaches were not signing off on him, but he was tremendous. I mean, he wasn't a secret. Now, they've been able to manage their risk. I wrote about this for the Daily Coach for tomorrow. And I think that this is a, an important for everybody is, is you have to manage, you have to understand that not all risks are the same, right? Like not all risks are, are, are exactly the same. I, I was, I'm doing some research on for the, for the next book on advertising and I was watching Mad Math. Why? I don't know, but it was striking. There was something in Mad Man that I was talking about advertising that I wanted to get to and I got to a scene where Don, do you remember, did you watch Man Man? I did. Don Draper, John Hamm, great. Right. So anyway, there's a scene in, at the end of season three where uh, they, they, had, they, they basically had sold their company and then the person that they sold their company to was then reselling them. And so Draper hears this news from Conrad Hilton. So he comes rushing back into the office and he says to them, he says, and, and he basically worked. I love the, the, the Burt Cooper character was great in, in Mad Man. You know, the old man with the bow tie. He had to take his shoes off before he went in his office. He always had socks on. <laughs> and so Draper walks in there and, and he says, you know, you're losing your business and you don't care. And, and, the, and the old guy and Burt Cooper says, no, I have a contract. You have a contract. Roger has a contract. What can we do? And he's like, you know, he says, oh, Draper says, well, you know, old men love building golden tombs and sealing the rest of us in with them. And then he replies back, young men love risk because they can't imagine the consequences. That's the key line. Young men love risk because they can't imagine the consequences. So the reality here is, is if you don't understand the risk, not all risks are the same. Steve Jobs is viewed as a risk taker, right? But really, Steve Jobs wasn't a risk taker. He was calculated with every risk. And I got to give the Chiefs credit. This Chris Jones contract, this huge money they're paying them, they took a lot of risk. Two of the players that they paid a lot of money to we're off a lot of people's board because of character. 
and they made out. They actually were the young men who took love risk because they couldn't imagine the consequences. Madman, I feel like we have a lot to unpack now if we want to go on that detour. But th- that show, I mean, you talk about, I mean, you talk about a different era, right? Mike, everyone's slapping their secretary's asses, smoking cigarettes, drinking booze. I mean, it was just, I, I think it's a really smart, funny show. And I'm glad you used some, uh, it was some benefit to you, but a dark show when you think about the way these guys acted, right? Yeah, Don Draper was dark. I mean, Don Draper was dark. But I think the, the part of, of the next book is, is the secret to all victory lies in the organization of the non-obvious, right? The reason we all can't see the non-obvious is because of the advertising agency, is because of how they've trained our mind to not look for it, you know? You know, they, you know, milk is good for you. Nobody paid attention to you. You know, when they said got milk, everybody started the camp milk sold. The, the cows couldn't produce enough milk, right? It's how they sell you to it. You know, it's like, here's what you have to do. I mean, Nutrisystem, just eat smaller portions. We don't give a shit what you eat. Just eat smaller portions. Yet they make Nutrisystem out to be like they, they've, they've unco- un- uncovered the golden tomb. So it's all, and that's what I'm trying to, and this show you know, Draper's character when he's not completely nuts or sleeping with somebody is really, really, you know, very good at being able to be specifically simple about trying to hit the interest that you have to hit with people to buy it. Stealing another man's identity. That's dark. When we come back, Mike and I discuss the Big Ten and Pac-12's decision for a conference-only schedule, what that can mean for the NFL. Plus, Brian Urlacher wants a piece of the Mets. What the hell's going on? We'll explain to you next. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in. Instantly download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance, see dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Well, as the COVID-19 watch continues with regards to professional sports, a day after the Big Ten announces going conference only, the Pac-12 voted to do the same. This was on Friday. So one of the reasons they decided to push back the start of the season was a concern that UCLA and USC would not be ready to play in early September because of coronavirus cases in the Los Angeles area. So if, if, Mike, college football can be played this fall, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 conference only. So 40% of the Power Five right now going conference only. ACC, Big 12, SEC on the clock. I feel like the SEC is the least likely to adopt this. I feel like they're the ones that are going to go, no, we don't want to change anything. But if ultimately every conference says, no, let's just stick to our own and figure this out, that's what we're going to have to do. Before we get into what this means to the NFL, it feels straightforward, Mike, if you believe that, listen, you should limit travel, try to keep things close, 
But the pessimist in me says this could be the beginning of even more sanctions and perhaps no college football this fall. You know, I am, uh, based on watching the news, uh, looking at these bars, I mean, the Jersey Shore is just, I mean, the beach I go to in front of our house is is not, is kind of at the, it's the end of the island. So there's not a lifeguard there. You have to kind of move your way down to get to a lifeguard, but it's still crowded. But the beaches in the, on the island are, you know, you almost need a maitre d' to get you a spot to sit on the sand. And nobody's paying attention to the six, you know, the, the, the social distancing and more and kids. I mean, look at Florida's outbreak. I mean, nobody's paying attention to it. Florida's horrible there, you know, and so you got Florida, Miami, Florida State, you know, you got Central Florida. I mean, so the more I watch and observe this stuff, I mean, that you can use deductive reasoning here is I don't see how college football plays. Unless you're willing to really do what the NBA does, which is basically get into the bubble, or, or, or soccer is doing, get into the bubble, you know, the, and already today, somebody's reporting that the tip line at the NBA is reporting players sneaking out, you know, like, you know, I mean, like, we didn't think this was going to happen. I mean, the one thing about the NBA player, it, it's truly going to determine who, what players are mentally tough. Who cares enough about their team to not go out? Because that's really the ultimate, that's the ultimate question, right? Who cares enough that I'm not going to try to go outside the bubble? You know, I'm not going to hinder my team by going outside the bubble. I don't see college football having the mental discipline to do it. I mean, I know the Southeast Conference, I talked to somebody in the Southeast Conference this morning, and and they said that they're going to keep waiting, that they're hopeful. You know, Alabama, Auburn, all of them are trying to get their numbers down. A lot of a lot of those schools, Clemson, Alabama, a lot of those schools have had a high high test rate already. And maybe there's a herd mentality going on. I don't know. But until to me, until Florida gets it somewhat under control, I, I don't see how you can have college football. When you look at the numbers, Mike, and say 41 states are currently spiking or even just escalating. I mean, that's that's crazy when you think where we were in mid-March, you go, okay, hey, if we can just shut this down for two months, three months, then we can have a good summer move on. Great. But we didn't do that. And yeah. This isn't a political statement. It's just we, we're not even close. Remember we started worrying about the second wave? We're not even close to ending the first wave. Like there's no going to be, there's going to be no first wave, second wave. It's just a continuous stream of cases skyrocketing. And to your point, the whole idea to get sports back was if we have it under control. You watch the news for five minutes and you don't feel like any of this is under control. Specifically to your point, Florida getting 15,000 cases, like where we are in Jersey and, and obviously New York City, like we got crushed in, at the epicenter in, in March and April. But then it was like, all right, learn from this. You know, what can you do? Florida, Texas, Arizona. I mean, with those numbers spiking, I'm with you. I, I'm skeptical of all sports, particularly college football returning. Yeah, me too. You know, and I have a very close family a member that's a doctor and a PhD and and works in a hospital. And they've been told that if you have any symptoms, listen to this now, you, they've been told if you have any symptoms of coronavirus and you die, the cause of death is corona. So like all this numbers we're seeing, like I don't doubt that the numbers are spiking. I, I always look at the death numbers. To me, that's 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 the most important thing because you know you've got to separate flu versus versus a death sentence, right? And we know there's a lot of people that have died from it. And there's we know there's a dynamic of over sixty, you know, senior citizens, all that kind of stuff. But you know, but what? But how do you trust the how do you trust the data when they're just writing down the cause of death, corona? Yeah, and that's why I think there's just so much, it's so much uncertainty. You're right. How can you predict this when you're not even sure what numbers you can believe and 
and where the numbers are going. Because if you watch the news for five minutes, it's you depressing. Can't. There's no good news anywhere. You li- we live in two different countries. You turn on one channel, you're in one country. You turn on another channel, you're on another country. Like there's nothing in between. And and look, and you can go back and, and go talk about the, the, the other flus and all that. I mean, there's people have data from the 69, the swine flu, all that. I mean, you know, the question I think with this, it, we have made this so political that it's very challenging. And because it's political, as it relates to the GM shuffle, because it's become so political, I think some of these schools are going to have a hard time playing. Yeah, ultimately, my guess right now is, all right, two of the schools have gone conference only. I think ACC, Big 12, SEC are all going to go conference only. And like you said, they'll wait until maybe late July to make that decision. And then you have to pray, hey, one month later, are we actually going to get a college football in September? One other story here, just to go further about coronavirus with regards to the NFL, players are they're talking with this idea now for players. This is the Oakley Mouth Shield. So this is something that's being discussed with engineers. They're going to give it to all 32 teams. Basically, this is part of the safety protocol. And there's no mandate to wear a face shield, but they said you can advocate this use. And basically, it's used by skiers, military personnel, NFL players for enhanced color and contrast in their visors. It's a plastic sheet extending down and attaching to the face guard. The reason I mentioned the story, Mike, is this. For anybody who just holds up their hands and says, listen, there's nothing we can do, at least in this instance, the NFL is trying to get out in front of it, right? I don't know if all players are going to wear this, but there's a thought that this is not going to allow the direct transmission of droplets. So whenever somebody says, I don't know how the hell they're going to play football, well, you know what? If they're thinking of stuff like this, at least maybe they have a chance, right? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, look, I, I think the one thing that we have learned through our history is whenever there is some catastrophe, we improve. You know, we got refrigeration because of the some virus because, you know, we got, you know, we got milk pasteurized because of people dying. And I think that that, that the death moves that along and, and hopefully this will be something that we could utilize and it'll work. Exactly. And that's why you keep looking at technology and keep trying to find other things that are going to work. So is NFL going to happen? We have no idea, but we hope so. Fingers crossed. By the way, Mike's on Instagram, so am I. You can follow us, M Lombardi NFL, Admin S. Burke. You can also follow us on our show's Instagram page, at The GM Shuffle. Coming up next, what do Brian Urlacher, DeMarco Murray, and Travis Kelsey have to do with the New York Mets? Plus, we continue favorite lines from favorite Sopranos characters, Silvio Dante. That's right. Silvio gets his moment in the sun next on The GM Shuffle. Well, the next time somebody says to you, oh, man, Major League Baseball is in a tough spot, well, maybe not. Because look at the New York Mets. The Mets get made fun of a lot, right? Hey, they're not the Yankees. They come so close, make a lot of mistakes over the years. Well, they're going to get sold here. The Wilpons are looking to make a sale. And hedge fund billionaire Steve Cohen has made a top bid so far of $2 billion, according to a report by the New York Mets. But Mets COO Jeff Wilpon would prefer to sell to the Alex Rodriguez-Jennifer Lopez group if the offer is close the best bid at the end of the auction. And now we're getting some NFL content as well. Hall of Fame linebacker Brian Urlacher, Super Bowl champion Travis Kelsey, and 2014 Offensive NFL Player of the Year DeMarco Murray, part of a group of investors. How about this? A-Rod and J-Lo put up $300 million of their own money to buy the Mets. But now they got some NFL guys in there. And Mike, there's some other guys. Joe Thomas is in the mix. You got Bradley Beal, Mason Plumley. I just love the idea of like a bunch of athletes from different sports buying the Mets of all teams. I mean, yeah. I mean, you you know baseball better than I do. Their, their rules are more... Uh, 
a liberal in terms of having a bunch of owners. So, I mean, what do you think about this? I love it because I think, listen, you get a little star power involved here. Listen, Jennifer Lopez being involved with the team, how can that be bad for the team, right? She'll be doing music for the Mets. It gives more attention to the sport. A-Rod, you love him or hate him. That's hilarious. The guy goes from a, a Yankee for so many years and now all of a sudden he's one of the faces of the Mets. I mean, there's just, the fact that Jeter right now is running the Marlins, you can have A-Rod running the Mets. There's a good rivalry there. And anytime you have star power involved, I mean, that's what you need, right? Just imagine the Mets have like, you know, a fan event. All of a sudden there's Brian Urlacher, like teaching guys how to tackle. There's Travis Kelsey catching footballs. I, I like Jeff Wilpon's idea here. Like, listen, Steve Cohen's got $2 billion. We feel like we can make that sale. But if we can get a bunch of athletes to do it, I always think that's great for the sport because, you know, sizzle sells after a while, right? Yeah, no doubt. And I mean, you know, it, it'll engage them. And, and as we all know, sports is the entertainment business. And when you get people that understand how to entertain, and how to promote themselves. It'll, it'll be interesting to see how they do it. I hope they do. It'll be fun to watch. I mean, I think there's a whole business out there that educating former players on how to become executives in sports. I think there's a whole business in that. And it is amazing. See what you about Alex Rodriguez, the way he's remade his image after getting busted for BEDs twice. I mean, it is in some way admirable. Speaking of admirable, we admire the Sopranos deeply here on the GM Shuffle. We've been going through each character and some of the most memorable lines. It's now time for Bruce's main man. That's right, Silvio Dante, for when it's time to get the job done. An entertaining character. I went back, Mike, for you. I watched Amour Fu again, which was your favorite Sopranos episode, and I watched Pine Barrens again. I mean, the stuff with Gloria Trillo, the fact that she threw a stake at Tony's back and the fact that he doesn't react. Then later on, he goes and sees Junior. And the way he kind of sniffs up his nose goes, what, are you eating steak? I mean, it's such a funny line and seed. But Silvio's got some great lines along the way. There's so much of a focus on Uncle Junior and Polly, but Silvio, just that mug, you know, that the way his lip is always kind of curling out, that hair piece that he's wearing, he's got a lot of great lines along the way. Some of them are profane, some of them are not. Some of them are kind of simple. It's hard to raise kids in an information age. And, and this, this one is just profound. A lot of top guys have dark moods. That Winston Churchill drank a quart of brandy before breakfast. Napoleon, he was a moody fuck too. <laughs> I love that line. I love that. I, I love that. You know, I mean, I think it was so good that he used a guy that wasn't an actor. You know, Silvio's on the E Street Band, and he just kind of was authentic as an Italian. He was authentic as, you know, and, and the what, like you said, with the hairpiece and you know uh, the way he was able to to kind of deliver his lines. And he wasn't a comedian, you know, like when they did the Raging Bull. Remember they sat there and they did the Raging Bull. It was time for a fight. Yeah, you know, and uh, sorry, that's in Blue Comet, which I watched again. Did they hear the they hear the music from Raging Bull? They start miming the <laughs> shadow yeah. boxing. So good. And then when he's out there by the the, the the, uh, the strip club and, you know, he's at the Bing and he tells, okay, we got to clean up that, that, that tit up there and he's trying to take the thing down. You know, uh, it's just, uh, I, I mean, his timing for a guy that wasn't an actor was really good. And I think that even though his lines, we don't sit there and quote or, you know, all that, you know, we don't, th th you don't always see it, you know, so, but his take and his timing, I thought were great. Well, one scene in particular, when they have the intervention for Christopher and Silvio says, because they got to go around, right? Give him a moment where they, and he <laughs> says, when I came to open up one morning, there you were with your head half in the toilet, your hair was in the toilet water. 
disgusting. And Chris says, I told you I had the flu. And Sylvia just says, I said my piece, Chrissy. Like it's, it's all about the line. Really. And, and Chrissy, he was perfect for Chrissy. Cause like when Chrissy went off, this ain't negotiation time. This is Scarface final scene, fucking bazookas under each arm. Say hello to my little friends. And then Sylvia's like, always with the fucking scenarios, you know? I mean, it's just perfect. I mean, he just had a great knack of it. He was a well, he was a great character. I thought he was, he was perfect for the consigliere character. Cause he didn't get too high. He didn't get too low, you know? And then when he became boss, you know, I think he reminded me of a lot of guys who have been coordinators their whole life in the NFL. And when they become the head coach, they realize that I'd rather be a coordinator. Like, you know, like I liked it better that way. Remember when Paulie and Vito were arguing in the toilet about how much uh, in the bathroom and, and Sills trying to take a shit, you know, and, and they're arguing about how much their take is. It, it's just to me, it, it, it was the perfect perfect he never wanted power he never wanted more power he was loyal to his job i thought he was great and well written yeah i watched long-term parking again too i mean that scene where he kills adriana like you know at times he could be kind of a funny goofy character in some ways because of his expressions but like when he needed to be intense no, no he he had no problem whacking adriana which was one of the most chilling scenes ever also one last thought here in all, all time well, remember the scene where they're playing poker and he's getting, they say Sill was the worst of playing poker. He'd get so intense. He'd get so pissed off. And the one time they're talking about moving the cheese and he says, I stick motherfucking provolone on my socks at night. So they still smell like your sister's crotch in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I like when he went out there and he's got his guinea t-shirt on his, uh, you know, and, and his, his, his polyester pants and he's yelling at the soccer coach. Right. Oh, yeah. And then he starts kicking dirt up on the soccer. Like he's fucking Billy Martin. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it, I, it, it really is just so perfectly done, but you know, it, he has uh, a, a great sense of timing. And I, I mean, I just think to me, you know, he was the straight guy. You know, he was able, he made everybody else funnier. Yeah, I kind of wish he had more of like an arc like as far as his character getting his own episodes. But you're right. When Tony was sick in the hospital, you got a little more Silvio where he was the acting uh, acting boss. You got to see the, the look of consternation on his face. And also, again, talk about timing. This is why David Chase is great. The scene, again, it's uh, it's long-term parking where Christopher's late and Tony asks him where he was and he says, the highway's jammed with broken heroes on a last chance power drive. Any other show, they would have like cut to a shot of Sil, maybe like kind of a winking nod, kind of a half smile, but he completely plays it straight. Like it's the only time they quoted Springsteen and he has no reaction to it. Unbelievable. That scene, I mean, leaving California, that song when they're playing, when she gets killed, to me is one of my favorite. I mean, we could do a whole show on music on the show. No, no question. In fact, I think on Spotify, I downloaded every song that was ever played on the show. I put it all on my thing because there's just sometimes the music is so damn good, whether it's glad tidings at the end of one or whether it's Sinatra, you know, it was a good year at the beginning of another. I mean, it's really remarkable. Uh, it really is. Also a couple last things. Uh, just one last thought here again on A-Rod, by the way, speaking of diversity, it would be nice to have like Latino owners in major league baseball between A-Rod and JLo would be nice. And congrats to you, Mike and your team, the daily coach celebrating their one year anniversary this week. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, one, one year, it was a, it was a great it's a great project. We love it. I mean, Coach Raveling is a tremendous human being, as you know. Alec and Kamadi, both uh, the four of us, run the thing, and we all write, we all have ideas, and we all take p- great pride in it. We all take part in it, and it, it's truly a test and discipline to be able to write every day. It, it's the best thing you could possibly do. You 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 tend to the one thing I've learned. If you ask me, what have I learned from being involved with the Daily Coach for a year? I would say I'm more aware than I've ever been. Like, I probably would have not recognized the line in Madman 
if I wasn't always looking for something to think about. You know, I think I think by writing every day, you become more curious. That's what I've learned from writing The Daily Coach. And it's not grueling at all. It, you know, it's not grueling at all. It's just you plan your week. You know when you write. I know when I have to. Alec and, and Kamadi and Coach Rav, they know when they have to write. And you find things in everyday life that you can c- kind of come back to. And I think it just makes you more aware in any writing. Well said. Lots of uh, different forms you can find both of us. And as always, you can find us on the GM Shuffle. Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks so much for checking us out. We'll see you next time.